on behalf of the Japanese church, on behalf of the millions of lost people in Japan, I want to thank you all as a church for your prayers and kind support to us over the years. We've been studying Jesus' encounters with a broken world the past few weeks, and, and this morning I'd like to turn a corner and look at how he calls us as his people, as the church, to continue that ministry out to a broken world. See, something incredible happened in the first century in Jerusalem with the resurrection of Christ. If you think about it, in, in the year A.D. 25, there was no such thing as Christianity. But by A.D. 125, Christianity had spread all over the Roman Empire and beyond. So how did the resurrected Christ motivate and send out his disciples to do something so incredible, a movement that spread all over the world? Well, I think we get a taste of that in our passage this morning. It's commonly called the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, the end of the book. This is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bless your name this morning. We praise you for your glory, for your gracious care for us, for your entire creation this Sunday morning. Would you open our hearts and would you give us ears to hear your words of challenge and your words of comfort to us now from your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. See, not all of <coughs> Jesus' followers over the last 2,000 years have found the Great Commission to be so great. Uh, there, was, there was a long time for the church in the West where the unreached nations of the world were totally forgotten. But the Lord used certain men, raised up certain men to change that. And one of those men was a man named William Carey, who in the late 1700s, um, had a deep passion and desire to learn about uh, the different cultures and languages of the world. And as he studied them, he realized that they had no church. The vast majority of them had no gospel witness at all. And so William Carey came to this great conviction that if it is the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it is the duty of the church to make him known among all the nations. And so he put together a plan that he was very excited about, a plan that was the first of its kind. He put the, together a plan to create a missionary sending agency in England that would send missionaries out to all these unreached places. And he was so excited to share about this plan with a group of pastors in London. But the problem is they weren't so excited to hear about it. One of the other pastors even told William Carey, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help and mine. See, they didn't think it was a good idea because they doubted that God wanted them to play a role 
in missions. And I think that this stems from a much deeper problem going on in their heart, a problem that can plague our hearts just as much today in 2019. You see, doubting that the Lord wants us to play a part in missions and sharing His greatness with the nations, it stems from a real lack of zeal for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 16, we read that um, when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Doubt in Matthew's Gospel is much like um, a weakness of faith or a hesitancy in worship. I think we doubt if we're honest with ourselves maybe more than we care to admit. We might doubt God's good plans for us. We might doubt that He wants to use us in any meaningful way in the world. We might doubt that He has the power to overcome the problems in our life, overcome the problems in our church, or overcome the problems in the world. We struggle at times to thirst and really long for the glory of God in our own lives. And I say that not to excuse us in our doubt, but to issue a challenge. And Matthew is the writer of this gospel, and Jesus is the good shepherd and the good teacher. He doesn't leave us in our doubt, but he lifts our eyes in the most profound and I think somewhat unexpected way through the issuing of this great commission. He invites us to see what is so great about it. There's a lot of things I could say, but I'm going to focus on just three great things about the Great Commission this morning. That it comes with a great legacy, but that it also represents a great challenge and also has a great promise. You know, Matthew 28, this passage, is not the only Great Commission passage in the Bible. There is a, a Great Commission saying of Jesus in each of the four Gospels. And there's also one in the first book, or the first chapter of the book of Acts. And they all come in this crucial 40-day period in between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And so it would seem that this was what was heaviest on Jesus' heart as he is about to leave his disciples. This was what, one of the things that was most important to him, the crucial lesson to pass off to them before he left. But still, some might say, you know, are we making too big of a, a deal of missions? to be sending out missionaries, to be sending our people and our money, to just base a a whole mission philosophy off of just four verses, four passages in the New Testament. I think it's a fair question. Uh, And to answer it, I want to back up a little bit and get a universal picture of the way that the Lord has been working in the world. In verse 19, Jesus explains, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, every story has a setting. Every novel we read and every movie that we watch has a setting, a location in which it takes place. And the setting of the story of God is nothing less than the entire world. There's not one square inch of this planet. There's not one hair on the head of the 7.5 billion people in the world that lies outside of God's gracious care and His concern. And so the Great Commission gives us a scope and it also gives us a a time frame in verse 20 to the end of the age. See, this was not just a a local commissioning for people in the first century, as some people have argued. But this is meant to be a commission for the whole church around the whole world, for the whole age of the church. But even before the age of the church, 
we see that God's mission really began on the first page of our Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And remember when he creates Adam, first thing he tells him is he gives him a mission. He gives him a job to do, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And later in Genesis, in chapter 12, God calls a new representative, a man named Abraham, and makes a covenant with him. And God promises to bless him and to make a great nation out of him. And he tells Abraham, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that word families is very similar to the word that we find in our passage this morning, all nations. And so as the story unfolds, we see God's faithfulness to his covenant, his faithfulness to his promise to Abraham. He makes this nation great, and it's from this one nation that one man comes, Jesus, who is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, not of Israel, he takes away the sins of the world. So no, the Great Commission is not just a a first century calling. It's not just a a first century task. This is the great story that we find ourselves in today that continues all through the Old Testament and really climaxes now as God is actively blessing every nation of the world through the work of the church. So let's think about us. Let's think about us here in the Woodlands, Texas for a moment through the eyes of this legacy, through the Lord's eyes. 2,000 years ago, there was no God-fearing worship in Texas, as much as that might pain us to think about. 2,000 years ago, your ancestors, your fathers and mothers, were probably worshiping things that they had made with their hands. They were idolaters somewhere in Africa or Europe or Asia. But in God's kindness, he sent someone to you, probably a friend or a family member, to share the gospel. In God's kindness, he sent church planters to the Americas to plant a church. In God's kindness, he sent a church planter here to the Woodlands to plant this church. And so our very worship this morning is fruit of the Great Commission. See, when the disciples originally received this commission in the first century, we were the nations to them. And so our worship this morning is a sign of God's faithfulness to his promise. Our worship this morning is part of the great legacy of the ways, the gracious ways the Lord has been working in the world since the beginning of creation. And I think some of the reasons why we might doubt God's goodness, we might doubt that he wants to use us, is because we fail to reflect on the height and the depths that the Lord has gone to to bring us into his family. All the people, the circumstances that he has orchestrated throughout time to bring you to a position where you know the God and creator of the world, that you can have peace with God. And so great commission people are people who are grateful for the ways that God has brought them in to be part of this great legacy. Great commission people are sensitive to the ways that he wants to use us to continue this mission. It is really a great legacy, but it is also a great challenge. The main verb here in verse 19 is to make disciples. And this is modified by three other verbs that tell us how we are to make disciples. We are to do it by going, by baptizing, and by teaching all that Jesus has commanded. 
And these are not these are not so much tasks assigned to isolated individuals, but this is an identity given to a community. And uh, in other words, this is what the church is to be about. This is who we are as a people. The church is not to be a stagnant pool. We are not to b- meant to be an inward-looking, siloed people who busy themselves with the, the maintenance of the church. We are to be going out. Where? Well, Jesus says very clearly to all nations. And this word nations that we read in Matthew 28, it doesn't mean a geopolitical nation-state like we might find you know, on our maps today, but this, this word means a, an, a discrete ethno-linguistic people group. We are to be going to every people group around the world. Why? Well, the goal of this, we don't, we don't go for the sake of going, we go for the sake of God's worship. As John Piper has famously said, missions exist where because worship does not. Worship is the goal, the worship of his people. To fill the earth with the praise of the Lord is our goal in missions. You see, when William Carey, when he came face to face with the reality that thousands of people die every day without hearing the name of Jesus, it moved him to create a very important distinction that we must distinguish between, number one, those, <clears throat> those who do not believe the gospel, but they have access to it, and number two, those who have no access to the gospel whatsoever. In, years, in later years, this second group would, would come to be called unreached people groups. And this is the big difference between evangelism and mission. They're both very important. Evangelism is very important, but evangelism could be said to be reaching people who need to believe in Jesus. Mission, on the other hand, is reaching people who don't even know that there is a Jesus to believe in. And it's a great challenge. Unreached people groups, unreached places, are unreached for a reason. We've already gotten to all the easy ones. Oftentimes, people don't want to be reached. Oftentimes, there are huge barriers of cultural and linguistic differences that can take years, decades, to overcome and to cross. So how are we doing today as a church? Well, I think, I think a lot of progress has been made around the world. Um, in the year 1900, 10% of Africa were Christians. And now, today, over half of the continent follows, follows Jesus. There are more Presbyterians worshiping this morning in Ghana than there are in Scotland, where Presbyterianism came from. There are more, well, soon there will be more Christians in China than there are in America. We know Japanese Christian missionaries serving in Thailand. We know missionaries from Zimbabwe serving in Japan. We know Korean missionaries who have come to America. And so the, the face of world missions today is much less, you know, seeing it as the, the West to the rest, but it is very much described as, best described as from everywhere to everywhere. But still a lot of work needs to be done. There are about 17,000 people groups in the world, those discrete 
ethno-linguistic groups I was talking about. And 7,000 of the 17,000 are still categorized as unreached. That means fewer than 2% of their population are believers. Oftentimes they don't have the scriptures in their own native language. (coughs) There might not be a public church to worship at. And for some of them, we don't even know of one believer in that people group. (coughs) Japan is one of those unreached places. The church exists in Japan. We have the scriptures, um, but there are very few Christians there still. So if this room were full of a thousand average Japanese people, two of you would be in church on a Sunday morning. And so what does that look like practically day-to-day living in an unreached people group? Well, um, our daughter Zoe had a friend over playing on Saturday and uh, Mitsuki uh, stayed for lunch and I started praying before our, our meal and she started laughing at me. She just burst out in laughter and she said, what are you doing? And she had never heard anybody pray. Um, another of Zoe's friends, Natsuki, came over and saw the Japanese calligraphy on our wall that says, Heavenly Father. And she said, what is a Heavenly Father? She had no idea. She said, I don't have a Heavenly Father. (laughs) Our friend Motoki came over for community group Bible study. And before we we began, he said, can I just see a Bible? I've never seen one. And he just wanted to hold one. And so that's that's reality for 3.1 billion people in the world today who still live in these unreached places. Some of us have been called to go, but I don't think that you have to go to be a Great Commission type of person. Some of us are called to educate ourselves so that we can know how to pray. Because I think in in many ways, prayer is the work in missions. Because when we pray, we get to participate with God in some mysterious way as part of His sovereign will in the salvation of the lost. When we pray. And you know, I've never had anybody tell me as we have traveled a lot and visited many churches talking about missions. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, Joe, you know what? I think I spend too much time praying for the lost nations of the world. I think I really need to cut back. I think this is an area of growth for us all. So do you pray for the world? Do you have a list of non-Christian friends that you pray for? I think as we do that, as we pray, we will find the Lord lifting up our hearts, bringing us from doubt to a place of profound and deep worship as we see the glory of God working around the world. And he doesn't leave us there. <clears throat> he doesn't leave us alone in this challenge. He, the last um, great thing that I want to look at in the Great Commission is that it comes with a great promise, a promise of comfort and hope. In verse 18, as we've already seen, he reminds them that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. And, and that word authority could be translated power also that Jesus is in the control room and this this gives me great hope as we are sent out to Japan to share Christ with people as we trust the Lord to use us to plant new churches and to train up new believers that Christ is in control I'm not relying on my charisma or my ability to have the right words to say I am relying on Jesus's power 
that our fruit and effectiveness in ministry comes from his power and not mine. But he also promises us his presence. I think we, we so often need to hear this. The final words in, in verse 20 is, I am with you always. We all need to hear this. We all need to know that he is with us always because it can give new meaning and significance to even mundane parts of life like dishwashing and driving to work. Jesus cares about these things because he is in them with us. His presence is not only our hope and missions, but it is the foundation of all of our comfort in life and in death. And I'm so glad for that because I need, I need this every day. We all need this. We all struggle with sin and temptation every single day. And I was reminded recently of how just gross things in my heart can creep up so unexpectedly and uncontrollably. Um, a few weeks ago, Felicity and I were going to a movie. And I like to be at the movie early. Uh, something you should know about me. If we're not in, the, in our seats before the previews start, we're late in my book. But this time we had left on time. I'm feeling okay. And then Felicity on the way says, you know, I'm kind of hungry. Can we pull over and get something to eat? And, uh, you know, I'm not one to really explode in anger. And I didn't. But in, on the inside, my heart began to rage against Felicity. So mad at her. You know, I'm angry at my pregnant wife because she wants food to eat. <laughs> and... Uh, but this happens to all of us. You know, thoughts of anger, lust, contempt, greed, critical thoughts towards other people just automatically come out of our hearts because we have been tainted by sin. But Jesus is always with us. And, the, and he reminds us that he will not leave us or forsake us. And in these moments, we need to repent and remind ourselves of the good promises of the Lord. See, the only thing not great about the Great Commission is us. And we worship a great God. Because we worship a great God, we are called to be a Great Commission type of people. Um, years ago, my friend Matt posed a question to us as we were talking about the Great Commission. He said, how would you fill in the blank to this sentence? The Great Commission is a what? And think about that this morning. How would you answer that question? The Great Commission is a what? Is it... Does it feel like a burden to you? Does it feel like a guilt trip? Does it feel like maybe something that sounds exciting, but you don't know how, it, how you play a part or how it impacts your daily life? Well, after talking about it for a long time that night, we decided that the, the best way to describe it is to say that the Great Commission is a blessing. The Great Commission is a blessing. We're going to have very little zeal, I think, for God's ministry around the world we don't first see his great zeal for us. That he sent his only son to be crucified for us. To be made sin for us. To be broken for us. And he has brought us in to be a part of this great legacy around the world. The ways that he's been working throughout the beginning of time. He invites us not only to be part of his family, but he sends us out to be his co-laborers to work in his name on his behalf. And friends, that is a great blessing. It's a great call to 
repentance for us this morning, that we would seek the Lord as we remind ourselves of his kindness to us, that we would seek him as to how we can play a part by going or by sending or by educating or by praying for the nations. Because the God of the Great Commission really is that great. Let's pray together. Lord, would you have, have mercy on us? We, we doubt at times. We are weak in faith at times. We know the trajectory of your great story. That is your glory being sung among every tribe, nation, and tongue. But we are so easily distracted by lesser things. We praise you for your love and your for, for your forgiveness. And we ask you that you would show us how we can enjoy the blessing of being your co-workers. Show us how we can participate. How we can, by faith, become Great Commission people. In Jesus' name, amen.